Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 85 of Death Readers, the podcast where we read through books for the first time. In this episode of Death Readers, we're reading through Robert T. Backer's Raptor Red, the third in the makeshift <laughs> Jurassic Park trilogy that we have cobbled together because we just couldn't get enough dinosaurs. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, the way we do it is we read through a section of chapters in a book, we go page by page, we take notes, and we uh, talk about them together. And invite you to read along. If you'd like to read along, what we advise is that you start with this episode with chapters Flood and Panzers through chapter Famine and the Wing Shadow. Stop at Bubbles. <laughs> Bubbles is where we'll start next episode. Not that anybody read ahead. Not that anyone was trying to be proactive. I don't think... is. Uh, do, do we have any housekeeping? Um, uh, Only that I looked up the word noziferous from last time. Oh, yeah. That, that uh, stymied you. And mm-hmm. uh, with a with a with a really exacting Google search involving quotation marks or inverted wow. commas, uh, wow. I found about five entries. Four of them related to this book. The other one was some Kansas City politician in the two thousands yelling about people being loud. Um, so I have no idea. I think Robert Backer's making up words, but he made up Utah Raptor, so he's gonna make up words. He fucking. He just makes it with fucking Mr. Shakespeare over here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad to know that the new word alert isn't faulty and that it is just a guy who made up a word yeah. or two. So uh, without that, I say we move into early June flood and panzers. So do you have any notes? Uh, I do have notes. Bring them on. <clears throat> two notes over two pages, 61 and 62. Backer refers to Raptor Red's sister. Uh, it said her sister can be like a whirling dervish. And I was interested in this. So I looked up whirling dervishes. Uh, they're um, the Sufi religion, which is like, a, I don't know if it's a religion. Sufi is, mm-hmm. a, according to Wikipedia, Islamic mysticism. And whirling dervishes were founded in the 12th century. And they're a, uh, they practice a form of physically active meditation. That's what that is but clearly millions of years after the Cretaceous. And it's interesting to me that Backer will switch back and forth using modern metaphors and similes. And then like on the next page 62, when Raptor Red's experiencing a lightning storm, he goes into like Raptor speak and tries to explain what a thunder and lightning storm is from the point of view of a Raptor without using metaphor. It's just, it's, 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 it's interesting device and it's a little disorienting. It's not bad. It's just odd. They switches back and forth. Yeah. Um, I I kind of like it. You know, we talked about this in the last episode a little bit. The the mix of internal monologue and his like, you know, angles on things. It's pretty good. Um, I do have another note in this chapter. Uh, page 63. It occurred to me. Maybe maybe it doesn't bug you. Maybe you thought of this thought. Why doesn't Backer shorten Raptor Red to just Red? He says Raptor Red every time, all throughout the narrative. And it's like, yeah, no, I know. And you're already not given her sister a name. And the male, she's courting a name. And the chicks are just chicks. But we're familiar with her. Why don't you just call her Red, man? Just call her Red. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I I don't have an answer because it seems like, I, I mean, I agree with you in general. Like, that would just make a lot more sense. Um, especially because he doesn't give anybody else names. 
Right. I mean, maybe that's why. Maybe. Like, Do you, it's also the title of the book. It did occur. It is a very short book, and he is a paleontologist that doesn't necessarily have a background in writing. Uh, I'm going to call this prose. Um, do you think he needed to pat it? <laughs> oh, with like with one more word? I don't know. One more word every time. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but I don't. I think that you're talking about maybe a page of pad. Um, at the end of the day, maybe. Um, um <laughs> so this is the chapter where we have the big flood. Yeah, uh, like this once is the, in every the thousand years, massive thousand year deluge. Flood. They all end up in a tree. The Duke of Hastings comes back. <laughs> I mean, if, if Backer's not going to name that hot rafter, I'm going to name him. It's the Duke of fucking Hastings. Um, so that's exciting. And I think that's about where we end it, right? Well, like, I mean, the the this is the chapter, I think, with the whole, with the tree thing where, like, they, they talk about how the sister is good at swimming and Raptor Red's not. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know if this is exactly the chapter, but at some point we talk about, like, he, and maybe this is last episode, but they, he talks about the genetic variances between the two being like between positive, siblings. Or like one's a nighttime person one's a morning person and because of the difference that whichever one survives in the the world will be the one whose genes get passed on because darwinism and it's so like i imagine that that's kind of the same thing like the swimming thing doesn't seem like it's necessarily learned behavior in this instance it seems to be like Maybe it is learned, but it just—it's weird that her one sister, the one sister, has it and the other doesn't. Well, he kind of touched on that though—that that genetic variance is what helps, um, you know, the species continue to diversify. Right. And and I think that's kind of the point he makes. I have a note on that later, so we could touch on that more then. But I, I think he's definitely saying he's making a case for that. Right. That's all I have on that chapter. Well, then that brings us to chapter June. Whackety wax. What page was that? What page is this? 75, 76, 77-ish. Yep, there it is. Okay. Um, I, I don't have any notes. <laughs> my my um, notes is the overview of, uh, in this episode, a wackety whack dinosaur tells its tale of survival, and there's some more poop signaling. Well, there is, but there's this... Um, he's He's got a, a, a passage here that I really liked. Uh, the young male Utah Raptor's mind is swamped with all the messages crisscrossing in claim and counterclaim. It's a cacophony of aromas, like a dozen rap songs sung at once in a language of scent. He tries to read every one. It's a Cretaceous highway of information all written in shit. And I really kind of enjoyed that. Um, not the least of which uh, the the 50-year-old early 90s guy trying to bring up rap was amusing, but then... Cretaceous Highway of Information Written in Shit was fantastic. <laughs> Followed immediately by Dung is the Queen of Media in the Cretaceous. And he just has these moments where I'm like, yeah, man, right on. So, yeah, that that uh, that amused. Yeah. That's all I have for this chapter. Like you said, it's uh, it's more poop talk. Yeah. Where, where they, they make they, they make a, a, a mention of the Duke of Hastings uh, taking a dump on her dump to like add a to basically text her back. <laughs> it also amused me. I like this uh this this section where he says Like all raptors, the male insists on a dung document to prove the identity and status of strangers. It will always be this way with long snouted predators. His distant cousins, the great Tyrannosaurus of the later Cretaceous, will have huge snout chambers for their sense of smell. 
so will the bears and wolves and hyenas much farther in the geological future. Of all the land animals who will hunt big game, only one will come along who cannot read the dung sign. Homo sapiens. We suck. Yeah, we can't even, we don't even like smelling poop. Sniff your poop, people. That's the point of this book. Sniff your poop. Is it, it, Robert T. Backer says, you know, get get your nose dirty. Yeah. That's all I got for this chapter, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. That brings us to chapter. June, reluctant sister-in-law. I got no notes. Uh, that the, <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was an interesting chapter title as it as the sister-in-law. This is all the courting, the mating dance between right. Raptor Red and the Duke. And uh, the sister-in-law doesn't even come into it until like the last half a page. It, why yeah. focus on that? Why not be like Raptor's DTF? Uh, I don't know. I also don't know. I, I know that the... I, my only thought was that this uh, this male raptor, like you mentioned, he doesn't have a name. Yeah, I think that uh, he should have been. I think they should have been called like because of how sexy he is. Like how how like much she's like, damn boy, you are a sexy raptor boy. I think we should call him Robbie Sinclair, because because Robbie Sinclair was pretty. Uh, I, I mean, mean, I didn't like that Letterman jacket. But that's how you knew he was a star. <laughs> I was not into that show. Wow. Wow. Of all the of all the times to bring up that you don't like dinosaurs. I thought I brought it up before, but uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't get into it. I didn't like their honeymooners vibe. Uh, I love Henson, but I didn't like the puppets. <laughs> I hated that fucking baby. Um, it was not for me. Yeah, I remember being a child and being like, this is a great show. <laughs> Fair. Like, I remember being like, this show is great because it has dinosaurs and they look crazy. It's like, <laughs> it's like dinosaurs and Dark Crystal all at once. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I like. I mean, I think I, I got all of my prehistoric uh, honeymooners with the Flintstones and this just seemed like another... It's very fun. Cogging that wheel. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. eh, if they'd gone with some other sitcom model, like maybe what about like a dinosaur? I love Lucy. That I, uh, that might've been sure. better. Why not? Right. I mean, I'll, I'll give you that the, like it's, it's, I, I guess it's kind of embarrassing that it never occurred to me that Earl Sinclair's job is essentially the same as Fred Flintstone's job. <laughs> and the, the, the dynamics are really similar. Hmm. I'm sorry. I I just I just seem like a uh uh a, just a, a, a it's a classic framework. Well, yeah, it was the same as the Simpsons, but like, you know, it's still like it's the way you put it like you already got my prehistoric honeymooners <laughs> with the Flintstones. I was like, "Oh, damn. That's that's some cretaceous shade." Yeah. That's a hard word to say. It is. Um I uh well, I'm sorry to fling shit all over it, but they all know what I'm saying. They do. They can read it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm done with that chapter. What do you, you got anymore? Nope. Let's move on to the next chapter. June. Manure, love, and flowers. 
Uh, I have a couple notes finally. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll let you do it because I've just got some like events that happened in this that I'd like to touch on. But uh, what are your notes? Well, my why don't you go through the events first? Well, no, because because I don't I even have anything to say about the flowers. So if you have anything to say about his, that's huge... basically what I have to say. Oh, about. let's talk about the flower. How he, how the flowers I'm, get a backstory. I'm kind of curious about this whole thing. The the about the evolution of scent of flowers. Okay. Like, presumably the scent of a flower will evolve much like any other feature of any life because it is more beneficial. Right. So it makes me wonder, like, why? W- what would be the evolutionary advantage to have a flower that smells like poop and meat? Like, why does he think that's a thing that would happen? Well, because... I... Go ahead. Well, because, because the... As we know now, the bugs that we have that have, that, like, like plants they like plants that smell sweet right they're attracted to sweet smelling plants to rub their pollen all over them right and i don't know i mean maybe i missed it in the reading of this chapter I but i feel like, like you might have okay um, what was it well first of all he laid the groundwork with the creatures in this time love poop and meat and the smells of poop and meat so the flowers smell like poop and meat and then the he- carnivores Sure, but I'm sure like, the bugs that's, do that's too. That's my problem. The bugs do Why? too. Why? Why are we sure that? I because that's all there is. Poop and meat. That doesn't make for sense the bugs to, to eat. Me. Well, but he he made a comment about how the bugs would millions of years down the road evolve into you know spectacular butterflies and beetles, and that's when the flowers had to step up their game. What kind of bugs are we dealing with now in um, this book? Lesser beetles. And flies, probably. The really ugly ones. I guess that's ones. what I mean. Like, I want to know what... I, I, this is what I just mean. I'm very interested in this because there's a lot of things... And that's why we have variety of flowers is because they all had to try to outperform each other because... Right, but why would you think... What, what evidence is there to presume that that would be the scent of flowers at the time? So in the chapter, uh, Hastings is in a field of red flowers and is freaked the fuck out because everything is red and and doesn't know how to process that because red is either blood or food. And this is like red flowers. Ah, I've never seen this before. And it makes it sound like it evolved overnight. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, like not not exactly that, because I mean, it, it, it's not that it evolves overnight, but it's the first time he's seeing it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is like. I just this entire idea of like, okay, so, so blood or, or meat and, and shit are the things that like are attractive to raptors. Mm-hmm. We've, he's, he's talked about that a lot. That makes sense to me. Why would like, it, it doesn't sound like the raptors are in, if, if the, if the smell of the flowers encouraged the raptors to eat the flowers and the eating of the flowers turned into like, like it does with some birds, or if you eat fruit and things off of a, a a tree, you can eat their like seeds. And as you fly around, you drop the seeds everywhere. Right. And then those seeds can grow into something new. If that is what was happening, that'd be great. But I think he basically says that the raptors decide they don't want to eat the flowers or the fruit if there is fruit. Well, okay, they try it and then it's all bitter and they won't be fooled again, he says. Right. I, this- so. So why is it that he's saying that the bugs like that of that time? I, I just don't understand what the justification is for that. It it it, it is very weird. You're no, you're right. He, 
I mean, he, he's, he goes through all this trouble to talk about how these are evolutionary advantages that eventually evolve into something that we know now. Fine. But why make this assumption about the smell? Why, why this specific one? Like, it, what evolutionary advantages can you, like, suggest it's serving it, other than, like, maggots like rotten meat? Because you can, that, that's where they gestate. Sure, but, like, sure, sure. But do flies are, I mean... I don't know. It just it just is confusing. It feels like this needed like 10, 20 more pages or to be cut altogether. Yeah. Because it didn't do anything or further our understanding of the world because it just added a confusing element. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I've just it, it, it raised a lot of questions and didn't provide a lot of answers. Sure, sure, sure. And I, I and it I don't know how much it helps the actual narrative, if, if at all, which isn't obviously it's like the, the narrative might be secondary for this book. Sure. Um. So that's fine, uh, but it could it could be pad too, like Raptor Red, like I said. Um, yeah. this then this book also had the big chick fight. Yes, that's my next comment. Okay, which is I think that this, uh, yeah, I think the the thing that was really interesting about the chick fight, as you put it, well, they're this, chicks, right? This, no, chicks. they're full adult okay, so you're, female yeah, okay, raptors. Fair, fair. They're, they're hen, chicks. The they're hen not, fight then. Hen fight. That is much better. I'm so um, sorry. I am sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I want to talk about that in a second too. But uh, but one of the things I liked about it was this. I thought it was a really impressive job of showing how uh, sometimes being the biggest and the strongest isn't actually an evolutionary advantage. Like how, and I don't know if that's true in nature. I don't know if it's something he's suggesting that makes no sense. I don't know why a male of a species would be intimidated by a larger female. So um, oftentimes there's actually lots of animals that where the females are larger sure. and bigger and like, uh, like spiders. There's a lot of spider species where the female spiders are larger and mm-hmm. bigger. A lot, lot of insect species are like that. Um, anyway. So in this chapter, uh, like half a dozen lady raptors converge on Robbie Sinclair. Right. And are just like, Hey, you really are buff and, and the raptor of my dreams. Um, and start to tussle with each other, and then the biggest, meatiest, largest raptor of the species anyone's ever seen shows up, and she's like, I want Robbie Sinclair for myself. And that's when Raptor Red finally wakes up or whatever comes into it, and it's like, oh, no, my man, and has to try to fight this behemoth of a raptor until uh, Robbie joins in, and they fight her off. And that was yeah, really and, and, sad because she just kind of goes off and is like, I'm not wanted. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was sad, but it was also like the, he also contextualizes it by being like, sometimes being the biggest isn't good. Yeah. And it's like, I don't I mean, fine, but show me a real world example of that. Show me a nonfiction example of that. Like. Because as far as I can tell, the like un- the only time that being bigger evolutionarily doesn't work out is if you don't if, is if you have a food supply shortage. Mm-hmm. So like the bigger you are, the more energy you take to survive. So you look at someone like Andre the Giant, huge heart couldn't last very long, had a hard time pumping right. uh, and keeping him alive. Or like big people don't live long. Like he, I remember like he would say things like that. You know, like you know. It's just it's a tragedy of, of the reality of it. But like if you have a heart that has to overwork, it'll pump fewer times. Right. But we're talking about a, a period of time where these animals were enormous. And we already ha- we know that, like, you know, we have other species in the ocean of animals that are enormous. 
and they do fine. So the only time I can think of that, like, besides, like, uh, mutations like giantism or something that would cause someone to be, you know, so outlandishly large for their species that it's actually going to inhibit their life, their longevity, um, it's only when the food sources become scarce. And then, okay, the smaller you are, the more likely you are to survive longer, to eat more or whatever. And then that's, but that's, again, that's not on an individual level as much as it's on a species level. Like the species as a whole needs to be able to maintain right. their food supply. And if their food supply runs short, everyone dies, not just the big ones. So anyway, uh, but I, I mean, it would just be cool to, I mean, again, this is not something I'm saying I expect him to provide in the book. It's just as I'm reading, it's doing a thing a good book does, which is give me things to think about. Gives me things to think about in the real world and be like, oh yeah, when... When would I find a animal who wouldn't be an ideal mate for being larger? Do you think? Do you think he bases on anything, or do you think he's just trying to add some human drama? I expect a person who is a paleontologist to know a lot more than I know sure. about most things. So I bet it's based on something. I just want to know what. Sure, 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 sure. And that is the thing where it's like you've offered me direct parallels in other things, or 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 reasonable assumptions of why you've made this conjecture do it all the time man yeah yeah pad your book with that not with uh red flowers that smell like poopy which again but, but it's it's an interesting thing but it's the exact same problem it's that it's an interesting concept show me the evidence of that now I, what i will say is i know that there is a what i think what they call the corpse plant the corpse lily i think yeah 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 which blooms every like once a year or something it for a like short amount of meat. time yep it smells like rotten meat it's horrible mm. so it could be the kind of thing where th- that's what he's talking about is that that is a thing that is in a, we already have these plants they there's few of them nowadays but they do exist they are enormous they look prehistoric maybe they actually are prehistoric and that's what they smell like and that's what they look like so we know that you know judging as far back as those go that it must have been, this must be like an evolutionary missing link in the plant world that we can, you know, look at as if in a time machine or a time capsule and say, oh, all plants must have come from something that looked and smelled like this. Sure. I just want to know why. Right. Or even why you're bringing it up. Yes. Because. Well, the why he's bringing it up is if I'm right in my assumption of what he's referencing, it's to say, I think the whole thesis of this book is the point of this book is to provide a glimpse into as many aspects of Cretaceous life as possible. Yes, yes, I agree. I just don't think he parlayed the introduction into the flowers well. Then, agree. It's like we're now we're we're talking about this now. I'm like, okay, but other than running into it, I I don't know. It just didn't. It just it seemed like a weird diversion of I'm going to talk about this thing now. Yeah, especially because he also makes it that the raptors are experiencing them for the first time. Yes, which also was very much like, that's not how evolution works, right? It's not like... No, but again, we know that these raptors are nomadic. They do travel... They've traveled quite a long ways from Mongolia to Utah. Utah. I guess that's true. So, like, you know, if, if they're moving through different places, I mean... But then again, that sort of suggests that flowers evolved in uh, North America, which just seems... Weird. I, I again, it's just so much. I'm like, I just don't know enough about this subject to n- know implicitly or right off the bat that he's right, and it's n- you, I shouldn't question it. Sure. It just there's a lot of questions now. But anyway, yeah, the 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 corpse lily or whatever. It's this. If you don't know about it, it's like what a twenty foot tall flower. I just know it stinks. I only remember uh, the people's faces and all the reaction videos. Well, like, it, as far as I remember it, it's this enormous uh, 
flower that uh hold on i'll just look it up okay i'll be upset if it's not a lily if it's like a corpse hyacinth or a corpse rose so there's this plant that exists called the stinking corpse lily (laughs) and it is a a species of flowering plant in the parasitic genus raphelicia (laughs) i probably butchered that uh it is noted for producing the uh, largest individual flower on earth it has a very strong and unpleasant odor of decaying flesh. It is native to the rainforests of Sumatra and Borneo. Although there are some plants with larger flowering organs, like the Titan Arum uh, and the Tailpot Palm, those are technically clusters of many flowers. Mm-hmm. Isn't there another one, though? I think there's another like really tall... The artichoke is a flower. Ah, here's the other one. The uh, Yeah, this is the one I was thinking of, is the... Uh, the Titan Titan Arum is a flowering plant with the largest unbranched inflorescence in the world. The tailpot palm has a larger inflorescence, but it is branched rather than unbranched. Uh, and my memory is that due to, yeah, due to its odor, like that of a rotting corpse, the Titan Arum is characterized as a carrion flower and is also known as the corpse flower or corpse plant. This is the one I was thinking. If you were thinking a different one, mm-hmm. apparently there's a whole like collection of these types of plants. Carrion flowers, also known as corpse flowers or stinking flowers, are flowers that emit an odor uh, that smells like rotting flesh. Carrion flowers attract mostly scavenging flies and beetles as pollinators. There you go. S- some species may trap the insects temporarily to ensure the gathering and transfer of pollen. I think Robert Backer t- tricked us into learning something. Yes, but now I want to know, like, what makes them prehistoric? Because again, that's the real question. It's not so much that I, I don't know. So, okay, I'll forgive him. <laughs> I'll forgive myself <laughs> and say that, okay, I get that this isn't something he, he created. I had to remember like, oh yeah, that is a thing that we do still have. But again, why would he presume that that is a prehistoric or, or why would he include this as a prehistoric thing? And I'm not finding anything in Wikipedia, at least. Thanks a lot, Wikipedia, to explain that this is a, flower or plant species that is you know ancient or prehistoric even mm-hmm. so i that, that's again i just want to know more and i don't know where to learn more if only there was a place i could go to learn things about things i didn't know i got nothing i'm dumb i'm just an american <laughs> I, I want all my information served to me on a platter without putting any effort forward to to obtain it it doesn't even have to be a silver platter it could be one of those like brown plastic mcdonald's trays I want information to be like finding my dad's gun. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> God damn it. You made me snort, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Yeah, I mean I, I I want I want all that power of information and knowledge but without doing anything to earn it. Mm. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I guess I'm done with that chapter, but, uh, again, bottom line, I just want to know, I just want to know more. And that's, uh, that's what this podcast is about is about talking about what we don't know. And I don't know a lot. So here we go. Next chapter. Early July tank destroyer. What do you got? Really? This is the chapter where I feel what he was getting at earlier with the different sleep cycles 
and the different siblings having different skills, uh, evolutionary working together is how we'll survive. Is the, right. is the case he's making in kind of one of the points of this book. Um, came up together, it came together in this chapter for me. Um, other than that, this is the one where the wackety wacks take out each other and they're, and they're there to pick up the pieces and eat. Right. Robbie Sinclair leads them to dinner. Yeah. It, it, is this the one with the old man, uh, wackety whack? Yes. Yeah. The one who had given up on life and been right. hit too many times in the head. Right. Yeah. And they, uh, and Robbie's like, no, 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 no. I know what's going to happen. Just chill out. Yeah. And, and then the old ones just kind of like, uh, as Corton's a young man's game, I'm just going to lay down. And they're like, dinner. Right. Right. Um, my only overview is that, uh, some people believe that non-human animals don't have emotions or thoughts like we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I personally don't think that way. No. Um, and I, I think it's it's to me it's observable in animals specifically like you know dogs are the easiest ones to observe emotions in um, I think and I don't think that's by accident as far as I understand that's a direct correlation to our evolutionary symbiosis well absolutely like, like you know our our ability to communicate with dogs is is something that's been bred for and evolved over the thousands of years that humans have hunted with and domesticated wolves. So, um, but because of that connection, it, it makes me sort of confused that some people out there would think that like bears wouldn't have similar emotions. Well, I mean, I don't know how to frame what I'm thinking. We're less special if other things have emotions Yes. Uh, it makes it and easier I think for big, people to do the, some the of the people, horrible things to animals that they do if those don't have emotions. I think there's also the people... Yeah, but isn't that more barbaric for on our part, though? Oh, absolutely, um, but you have to be able to recognize that as well, which people wouldn't. And also, we were promised, you know, in religious texts that uh, we were the specialists and others don't have feelings and that yeah. way we can uh, have mastery over them we yeah we have dominion over the beasts of the field is that what it was that's what it is um yeah i think that's that's the people i'm thinking about that i've heard this stuff from are very religious they're <laughs> or specifically like catholic christian yeah. religious yeah and have those feelings about animals and have those feelings about like you can't know that a dog has emotions it's like no nah, but like you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some I mean, of my I... worst impulses slash uh, uh, emotions that, that, that screw up my thought process come from my lizard brain. Right. But then you have to acknowledge that I have a lizard brain that's evolved. I think that, yeah. So for me, when I read stuff like this book in these chapters, it's really interesting to read. Uh, like he personifies them so much in the writing and especially in ways where like, the, their thoughts and their motivations. And I wonder if this is simply a narrative tool or if this is like a hypothesis, if this is presented in a fiction as a way to get the audience to relate to the characters, or if it's like, actually, I kind of think this is how they would think. And this is how they would respond to things. Eventually he gets into the whole hierarchy of who, who Raptor Redwood, like her hierarchy of most important in her pack, you know, 
chicks they go first right mate he goes second right. sister goes last right and i i just think that that's really compelling but i also wonder if that if there's i mean he, again he talks about specifically with that one and i think he I'll get, i think that's the next it's chapter, the next actually. chapter i'm pretty sure but like he explains like this is something you can observe in animals who will abandon cubs or abandon like you know uh offspring mm-hmm it's a reason like runts don't usually survive right. because like the parents can't take, they can't give more than, than necessary to keep, you know, that one alive when it would, it would cost the stronger, more, you know, successful or, or easy to survive chicks from being alive. Absolutely. But anyway, it just makes me think that cause I like, I have a really strong relationship with, with most of my dogs, mm-hmm. but the, one of the things about them that's so easy to do is like understand their personalities and the, and the, the thing about it that's tough because you can't the reason it, it, it's impossible to do this scientifically is because you can't not be projecting like you can't minimize the amount of projection i would do about like i think they are doing this because i interpret this behavior this way sure and that's not really science you would just have to you'd have to write down the observations and let other people draw conclusions or not but just say i observe this but like i can tell you that i have a dog that is extremely nervous and has a lot of problems with anxiety and uh, stress. And most of that has to do with like separation anxiety or, or and a lack of purpose. Mm-hmm. Like I know that he's a terrier and terriers have this genetic issue where they really need to have a job to do. And they also really, and if they don't have a job to do, they want to be with you uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, they get crazy and they have these like panic attacks essentially, which are annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and a a evolutionary mistake like it sucks that we decided to breed this class of dog to be fucking awful unless they're working all the time well i mean that that was an accidental byproduct much like i feel human sentience uh we were working all the time and then we got machines and computers and became lazy and then the dogs suffer because of it uh, yeah, exactly. And I, but that's, that's the thing was like, you know, if we were evolving responsibly, only people who were using those dogs for work would still be breeding them. But that's not the case. Right. Now you have people who complain about my dog opens his kennel and I don't know why it's like, cause you got a border collie and you live in a 600 square foot apartment. <laughs> like mis- that was the mistake. They're the smartest dogs out there. They're going to get rambunctious if you're, if they're not herding cattle all day right? or sheep, you know, like, you shouldn't have this dog <laughs> you know you need you need like a, a, a you're not gonna like it because of the space but you need a great dane you need a dog that's like the the andre the giant of dogs who is <laughs> so so big and it take and has such huge hearts and it takes so much energy to keep them alive that they just lays around all day and then you they can take, go solve mysteries they take huge dumps it's true <laughs> and they eat a lot but they're also very very relaxed so get one of those dogs. It's not going to seem like the right thing to do because they're huge, but it's the right move. And take the fucking toothpick out of the sandwich before you eat it. <laughs> you know, give yourself a, a fucking oral infection eating toothpicks. It's ridiculous. Tracheotomy from the inside out. All right. Do you have any more in that chapter? Uh, No, I don't. Well, then that brings us to our last chapter for this episode. August, Famine and Wing Shadow. Things I found interesting in this chapter. Mm. As I mentioned before, the exploration of Raptor Red's priorities from chicks to new mate to sister. Mm-hmm. I, I liked that. Did you want to talk about that? How they'll, how they'll, how they'll abandon children first. 
Yes. That was very interesting to me and not something right. I I think I even understood that uh, modern animals would do. I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that like some males of certain species will devour the males of a, of, of a previous litter or, or uh, a previous males litter. Yeah. 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 You, you've talked about that. This is a different situation though. This, this is, but I wonder, I guess what I'm saying is I wonder if cannibalism would, would be a thing that they would turn to if it came down to, listen, we're starving. We're the breedable, like mature species. We're, we're going to have to eat the chicks. Because evolutionarily, you should be repulsed by that idea. Damn it, Robbie. That's always your answer. <laughs> We're not eating the children. They just look so delicious. Put that mustard down. But that's how I, that's why I wonder is like, I wonder if there's what the conflict there would be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it, it does seem like that issue is almost skirted since everybody is kind of uh, dying of hunger and they're only talking about abandoning the chicks. It's like, if and he goes to great lengths to say why it's not monstrous because these are animals and this is how they think and it's about evolutionary survival um but uh, yeah i kind of would le- at least like a lion saying but they wouldn't eat their kids their chicks because that's a different situation or what but yeah that does well work. i mean they do find other food thanks to the pterodon guy the dactyl the dactyl uh the dactyl guy um this is the white dactyl but, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The white savior. Classic bullshit. <laughs> uh, I thought he just wanted to have a Hemingway moment. Have like the old man and the raptor. No, the the chicks, they don't have to be sacrificed or abandoned yet because they find food. Mm-hmm. And so they are still getting eaten. So my only thought was don't count your raptor chicks before they hatch. Um, they might end up eating them later. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I mean, you you've read one more chapter than I have already, but I <laughs> don't... trust me, it's not a lot of action. <laughs> awesome. Um, it's interesting the, uh... enough, but it's not. Uh... Well, I'm 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 not saying I'm going to say I'm holding out hope. Yeah. For that, they're going to eat the raptor chicks, but I am going to say anything's possible in nature. I guess. Um, again, evolutionary psychology. It, it seems wrong to eat your children, but. Zeus did it. Well, Kronos did it. My bad. Kronos did it. That's right. Zeus's daddy did it. We got the dactyl backstory. That's true. Another one of those. Uh, we've, we've had the flower backstories. Maybe a wackety whack story. Yep. A wackety whack story. And uh, the dactyl dack story. Uh, I actually, well, I was f- kind of fascinated with this dactyl, how he's a 60-year-old pterodactyl. He's white, unlike the smaller dark ones and just chose to be a bachelor. This is the most human character in the book so far. Well, he chose to be a bachelor after already having a lot of kids. Sure, 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 sure. But the fact that, 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 that becomes a choice, it's less lizard brain and and more prefrontal lobe kind of thinking. Yeah. Well, again, but it's, it's also projection. Sure. Absolutely. But but he doesn't, but I'm saying backer has not done that as much with other characters so far. This is the most developed projection we have had to to date. He did it. He did do it with the, with the, uh, large, uh, with, with the, the Gaston, the old Gaston. It was kind of the same thing where it was like, yeah, well, he was like, I'm, I've given up on mating. I'm basically resigned to just like having a good time and hanging out in the mud. There's, 
a bit of that, a bit of the, well, I didn't think it was having a good time. I thought it was like, I've, I've, I'm literally giving up on mating right now. And now I'm dead because they've eaten. Oh, me. I thought it was like, no, I, like he had, he had, he had experiences where he was unsuccessful in mating many times. Yeah. And so he basically was like, I'm just, I'm not, it's not going to happen. Okay. It's probably never going to happen. Fair enough. But this, I'm just going to enjoy the mud. This Dactyl likes to look out for his raptor friends. Yeah. And buzz other raptors or was it, was it the other raptors or other yeah, the other raptors. He buzzes them like, fuck you guys. You guys aren't cool raptors. It's his whole personality. I don't think I can. So I don't know what it's called, but I know that there are this kind of relationship. It's a symbiosis, but it's also like you can see things like that in the uh, like this relationship where one creature will service another creature. Uh, and I don't just mean like symbiosis in the in the way where they have to stay alive sure. i mean it like like these two creatures just happen to benefit each other and they hang out a lot so like you have those, yeah you have those rhinos with those little birds you have like uh like whale sharks have little tiny sucker fish that hang out on them all the time mm-hmm. things like that like you know I th- you know whales eddie brock have... has 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 venom nope nope Mm-mm. nope we don't need to, we don't, th- listen, sometimes there's words that you have to use that you don't have to correlate to the other thing that you think about. Like Symbiote. Uh, <laughs> all right. No more science books. We're just end up having to talk about, having to talk about symbiotes in symbiotes. Um, thanks a lot, Tom Hardy. Um, so like the... It was Jenny Slate. It was always Jenny Slate. Yeah, but if, if Tom Hardy hadn't done it, would that movie have still been made? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, the the point I was trying to make before uh, Venom sidetracked me um, was this is an example. Of, usually it's an example of the serviced species being massively larger than the subservient species. So you'll have tiny birds on big rhinos or big elephants. You'll have, you know, tiny fish on big fish, mm-hmm. things like that. It's it's rare to see or or like tiny, tiny fish in big anemones, you know, things like that. But it's 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 I don't I can't think of one where like the subservient species is smaller than the servant species or the, than the, than the serve species. So in this mm. one, like the, Wait. the dactyl is flying. Say that, say that again. I can't think of one where the subservient species is larger than the served species. There you go. Okay. Okay. So, so like the dactyl is much larger, at least as far mm. as I can understand, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the back of the book, it actually is the other way around, I think, but it, the way- look, it, it, it looks smaller than the raptor. But then they also said it was really a large version of a dactyl. And, and they mentioned that he has meter long, like multiple meters long wingspan. Right. Like, so I don't think the dactyl in this illustration is the same as the one in the book for the white dactyl. Maybe not. But it, it just seemed like the way it was being described is, is this bird, this flying dinosaur was huge and yeah. and almost bigger than the raptors is how yeah, it kind of that's what that's felt. what I read. So maybe maybe. Maybe I misread it. Maybe we misread it, but that's how it seemed. Um, and that just, that was my note it was just like, oh, it's odd because this doesn't usually happen with this difference in mass between the two animals. Mm-hmm. Or at least in this direction. And so the white raptors 
or the white raptor, Jesus, the white dactyls flying around, and Red notices it and remembers from the past where it would kind of lead them to a kill. And since they're starving, they follow it. Right. Get some tasty food. They rip open the uh, the creature, the slightly mummified creature. They're mm-hmm. their their dino jerky. Um, so that, that the white dactyl can have the pickings afterwards. That's their symbiotic relationship. I really enjoyed the little chick trying, seeing the dactyl hanging out and running up to it and, and trying to scare it and trying to mm-hmm. be a big raptor until the white dactyl's just like, fuck you, and unfurls its wings. And then the adults are like, what do you want? You're fucking with a dactyl. Don't do that. That was amusing. Yeah, I like that, like, that posturing by the tiny baby. This is also the chapter where before they get to eat and they're starving, Red has a dream about eating. Yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> and chock full of raptor speak, too, for her imagery. And it was very fever dream reading. I was like, what? And described how she could have the mouthfeel of the food and the smell of the food, but on some subconscious level understood that it wasn't real or was conveying to us that it wasn't. It was very odd. It had it was very Lynchian. It uh, was. And that, I mean, it, it Twin Peaks came out in 1990, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't surprise me if <laughs> if this book was like, I want to I do some Twin Peaks shit. <laughs> I love Twin Peaks. Um, but that's that's all it made me think of. It's like, okay, I either, like one, one of two things, either this is just Twin Peaks, or... <laughs> Or it was like, she's going to wake up having gnawed her sister's head off. <laughs> and and she'd be like, God, this meat in this dream tastes so real. <laughs> she and ate then, one of the chicks and she woke up down in the mouth because they're chicks and they have down. Ugh. Maybe it'll still happen. Maybe that, that's how we'll get our, our cannibalism as well. Have another dream, dream sequence that she'll be eating one of the babies. I'm into it. I say do it. Um... What did you think about the dream? Just that it was hard to read. Yeah. Or or, or hard to comprehend. And his mix of raptor speak and dream imagery was very odd. And it wasn't horrible, but I was not sad when it was over. Yeah. And it was just, I guess it'd be like looking at your dog having a dream and trying to as a creative writing experiment, write what that dog is dreaming, but from the, you know, with the vocabulary of what the dog would have. Right. But then translated that vocabulary into human. But, it's, but then again, it's... like why? Like, is it just to suggest yeah. that again, like animals dream? Okay, fine. I believe that. Like I can buy that animals dream, but like, well, I mean, this is a, a, a season in the life of a raptor. So I guess got to include that. I don't know. I mean, it, again, it just seems like odd and out of place, but also whatever. Sure. This book doesn't really have like, I, there's no reason. To, the only thing I can continue to expect from it is more of Raptor Red's story and more tales from the cryptaceous. <laughs> nope. I got nothing. All right. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I just, I had nothing. I couldn't go anywhere with it. Uh, do you have any more notes? I do not. Let's get into the new word alert. Let's do it. 
right, here we go. First new word. Cane break. Cane break? Cane break. Cane break. What is cane break? Cane break is a noun uh, meaning a thicket of cane. Oh. Like sugar cane, I'm guessing? Or any other kind of cane, but yes. Rattan, bamboo. Mm hmm. Abel's brother. Michael. No. Uh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and did you know that apparently certain segments of the Mormon faith believe that uh, Bigfoot is actually uh, the biblical cane? As far as the internets have told me, and it could just be a bunch of nonsense, but I believe that they believe it. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a weird place of being both taken aback, and some little subconscious voice going, "No, you've heard that before." So, I'm equally gobsmacked and agreeing with you. Nice. Yeah. All right. Next new word. Malodorous. Malodorous. Now that's a bit of an easy one. Okay, yes. I get it. I get it. Yes. Uh, stinky. Yes. Yes. And from the Latin, uh, bad, and smelly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What's Latin for good? Nobody ever says. Isn't it like pro? Oh yeah. Huh. <laughs> Would you say pro odorous or proterous? Uh. Produce well, I, be my my DJ name. Well, you have like pro produce. You have uh, pro spur. You have lo- lots of pro things. All right, hey, pro I don't speak Latin. I speak English. Okay. Hey, yo, I'm I'm not fighting you, man. I speak the president's English. Oh shit! Don't say that. I don't like that to be a thing. <laughs> I don't like that at all. I want that to not exist. I want you to <laughs> Omega thirteen that shit or whatever. I can't. I can't unring oh. that bell. Oh, I don't like that bell. That's all I got. Okay, well, that's the horrible place to end it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next uh, time we uh, meet, we're going to be reading through uh, chapter August bubbles. Mm-hmm. Up and through Death from the Sea. Is there a is there a, is there a date on that? December, Death from the Sea. Do not read past or do not read at all Segno Caves. Segno Caves. Extra no on that Segno. Yeah, extra no. Because don't read it like an idiot. Yeah, don't waste your time. Alright. Do you have any uh anything else to say? I do not. Well, then, I believe that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit.